Hello, everyone. This is your host, Jordan Smart. We're very excited because this is a, a special episode. Uh, it's going to be a very exciting episode, too, because we have Amani here. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Tasi. So excited to have two more black women on the show. Uh, they're going to be spending some time with us today because we're talking about, I, I would say, primarily black women in uh, uh, three different kinds of uh, contexts. So we are uh, very excited about that. So we want you to remember we have a podcast that is now on Apple Podcasts. We have a podcast that is also now on Spotify. Once again, thank you, Agent, for putting that together. Don't forget to use the hashtag affirmative interaction um, in any place that you are commenting or adding to the conversation. Um, and then we're also now streaming on Instagram. So if you think Michael Nixon's incredible, incredible talent when it comes to technology has any limits, you are wrong because he found a way to put us to stream on Instagram. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Wherever you go, we will be there. So thank you for uh, following us on all those channels. So guys, uh, so glad that you guys are here. I wanna ask Tossie, I love your shirt. Uh, yellow is a good color for the camera. Um, please tell us a little bit about that. How did you come upon that? So weeks ago, I got this shirt. Um, and Michael and I were chatting and I was like, well, this is, you know, this is who it is, and this is who I'm voting for. So I'm gonna get the shirt, which is very funny because I remember when I was first pastoring and we moved to our first church, I had him take the Obama sticker off the back of his car because I was like, we need to just be neutral. Yeah, yes, we did. And like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, and this is New Jersey, and like, we gotta be careful. And literally, once like Joe Biden, like, we knew that I was gonna be it, I was like, I'm buying a shirt, I'm wearing it where I go. We've gotten a few looks. I just waved back. That's cool. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Biden, Harris 2020. <laughs> and now I'm convincing Michael to get the shirt and put it on him. Put the stick on his car. <laughs> this is good. I feel like it would be a nice we'll couple. See. We'll, see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> so, Amani, uh, this is weird because you're right next to yeah, me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should I look here or look here? But I want to ask. Uh, thank you for coming to the show. How was your How was your week, man? It's been better now that we know a black woman yeah. is going to be a black South Asian woman is going to be in the White House, and I'm very excited, or at least next door to it in the administrative building, but still in the White House um, in 2021. I'm hopeful that's that. that was a sweetener to my week for sure. It's only been, it's only Tuesday. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so uh, start to a good week. Good <laughs> start, start to, to a good the, week. Yeah. Um, uh, everyone else, please, uh, you know, don't trample over yourselves in answering this question. How are you guys doing? We have two Logans now. Uh, Logan, how are you doing and how is your doppelganger doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, been a rough weekend for me and some family, but, uh, you know, I was happy to pop on and talk talk them all today. That that seems like a little bit um, to brighten the mood. I'm in Missouri right now. My my trip back to California keeps kind of getting delayed, um, just due to different circumstances. But I'm glad to see all of your faces uh, rather than just chatting on in group chats and stuff. So uh, glad to see everybody smiling and having a having a good Tuesday so far. 
Very good. Thank you, Logan. Uh, please keep Logan in your prayers. Um, and we're just really happy to have him here with us uh, today. Mike, I understand that you're getting ready for Andrews uh, beginning school once again. I mean, I can't even I have so many questions, but I mean, just tell us, how are you feeling? How is that going? Uh, it's, it's going interesting. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's pretty crazy around here to say the least. Um, but you know, we're you know, doing the best we can. I actually got my re COVID reopening test today. So we set up, um, Johnson gym. It's like our huge test site. Um, you all will be familiar with what, what that is. Um, and we're going to have students start to come back probably next week. And so, um, you know, that that'll be interesting and they'll they'll all get their tests as well. And we'll kind of launch from there. So uh, definitely keep the whole process in prayer. We are feeling a little behind schedule on some things because we kind of just started reopening our buildings very slowly. I'm also in the process of shifting offices. So. You all see the empty bookshelves. It's not because I don't read books. It's because my books are packed up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but we're, you know, we're hanging in there. We're hanging in there for sure. And on a quick personal note, it's actually Tasi and I's seventh wedding anniversary today. Yeah. Oh, so, let's go. Congrats. And he let me on. Sure. Right. <laughs> yeah, so this is a, anniversary to me. Yeah, can't swing dinner, but you could be on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, gotta. Big hey, it's, it's year seven, so we're we're past all the you know preliminary stuff. So, Simone and Garrison, I understand it that you guys have begun a new initiative. We cannot actually see it on Garrison's shirt. Uh, Simone, could you tell us a little bit about that? What, what What's going on with Impact Democracy? Yeah, so Impact Democracy is basically a movement that we want to encourage people to be accountable to their communities, to encourage them to vote. So it's kind of like claim three friends and make sure they get to the polls, like hold each other accountable, ask like, hey, have you registered on time? Have you, you know, are you ready to mail in your ballot and all of those good things as we're preparing, especially for a non-traditional election that's gonna be kind of up in the air. I think accountability is even more important. Deadlines are approaching, um, all that good stuff. And so it's really, literally it has, it actually has nothing to do with like who you vote for. It's just vote, use your voice, do your thing. Although vote for Biden, but I, <laughs> we're not biased. Yeah, yeah, we're super excited about it. Just trying to spark a movement of uh, voting accountability partnership, and uh, yeah. we got shirts because we thought it would be cool to have shirts. And uh, yeah, definitely yeah. follow us on Instagram. We have a website that's kind of coming along, but we have a couple of campaigns that we're kind of like churning out to get people just to again find a voting accountability partnership. I shared on my Instagram story today that I, there was a time, and I just shared last week, there was a time where I didn't vote. I was taught that it didn't matter, that voting was wrong for whatever reason. And it was actually Simone who encouraged me when we were like, we little lads and oh, ladettes yes. in, in college to go out and vote and get engaged. And that accountability has sparked so much for me. And so we think that accountability partnership is important and 
and voting is another area where where people can 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 be accountable to each other and in turn impact democracy. Mm, I kind of feel like this is what you have written on your Wikipedia page because that was very well said. <laughs> well said. Thank you so much. Uh, Garrison did share Impact Democracy's Instagram, so please click that link, follow them, and also um, you know help them out, spread the word, and uh, let's get people out and voting this November. Adrian and Esther, how are you guys doing? I know, you know, I, I just can't believe you guys live in Maryland. Now. I'm still excited, but please tell me how you guys been doing uh, these past few weeks. Really good. Yeah, just chilling in the house mostly. We went to Black Lives Matter Plaza this weekend for the first mm. time. That yeah. was nice. We did. This we time. also, oh man, it actually turned into a bit of a blessing. So we we've kind of made like an intentional effort that like when we want to like get food that to try our best to focus on black owned businesses. Mm. Oh, we went to, um, Basket uh, what is it called? Basket trees. Basket trees. And it's black owned by a black mm -hmm. woman. Um, and you know, food 10 out of 10, but it, what really made it memorable was she was just kind of sharing her testimony mm -hmm. about like how God kind of saved their business in the midst mm -hmm. of COVID. And like we ended up talking to her for a few extra minutes afterwards because you know I, it it sounded like she had a testimony in her heart, man. So that mm -hmm. that was really really blessing. Um, so if you all have a chance, just kind of send up a prayer to I guess small businesses in general, but specifically black businesses because COVID's hit them pretty rough. So. Gotcha. Definitely, definitely. I do know me and Amani have been going to every few weeks. We've been ordering takeout from this spot called Milk and Honey, which is black owned. It's super good. So if you live in the DMV area or Atlanta or Atlanta, or Atlanta, Atlanta too. if you live in those two spots, those areas, definitely check them out. And of course, check out the spot that um, and support the spot that Adrian mentioned, too. OK, so glad that everyone is doing well. Um, thank you once again for everyone that is watching and rocking with us right now. If you're just joining us, please say happy anniversary to Mike and Tossie. And uh, now let's get into it. So very big news. I mean, it's very exciting. We have a VP mm -hmm. and her name is Kamala Harris. Before we even get into the specifics, I mean, I just want to know how are you guys feeling? Like we need to get and talk about Ground Zero right now. I mean, what were you feeling when you first saw that alert pop up on your phone? I shed a tear, mm. a single tear. It's just kind of like the thought that a black woman could be VP is huge, you know? Especially growing up where in a, in a space and time where like the only black doll you saw was Addie, you know? Mm. It's just like huge to see a woman accomplish that, a black woman, like someone who looks like your aunt or your mom. It's just amazing. I'm excited for like Noah to be able, I'm excited I get to see, but I'm also excited for like her to see all that's happening and know that the sky's the limit for her, not because she's hearing it can be, because but because she's seeing that it can be. Mm -hmm. That's real. Yeah, I'm super excited. Like I, you know, when when Kamala first announced her presidential run, I was like, I love her. I'm, I'm all on board. Um, I had a, uh, Rachel, one of my best friends, worked in the Senate, and she had her opinions about Kamala and how she ran her office. But 
nevertheless, <laughs> she is, you know, she had her issues. I can't like deny that, but every politician does. And it was, it kind of like made me really sad at first when her campaign kind of lost steam. Cause I really felt like the excitement when she announced last year was so big. Like her campaign event in the Bay area was like, I, I don't even remember how much it was like thousands of people. And it's kind of sucks that she lost steam, but I'm glad that she, to me, this is a little bit redemptive in a sense, kind of allowed me to give her a second chance too. Um, so I'm really excited um, just to see what kind of like energy she's about to bring. Yeah, I remember being so, my heart sank when she left the race. And it was, I think it was so multi-tiered. Like, and I think that at the root of it was really just the fact that like this black woman was running and was no longer eligible for a high office. And that, I mean, she's held plenty of high offices, right? Like she's a Senator, she's been AG, she's been DA, she's done all the things. Um, but there was something about like being in the presidential cabinet and being the president of the United States that was so valuable to me as a black woman that I don't even think I realized until she was out. Cause there are things that I, I didn't always totally agree with about her, you know, and mm -hmm. in this day, I think that there are some, you know, apologies that could be made or some reevaluations and corrections that could be issued. But um, yeah, I, I'm so excited, you know, to see a black woman in that position. I'm also like almost holding, I feel myself holding my breath because I'm like, oh, please let this like go well. And it's not from a critical perspective. It's just that I know how how heavily we're scrutinized already. Mm -hmm. And I know that they're so quick to drag and to like, you know, like to just kind of bring black women down. And so I am just like really hoping and praying that, that she's able to take a direction that is incredibly meaningful. I mean, just her running for, just her being selected for VP is so meaningful, but I'm hoping that her trajectory only goes like up from here and that she's really able to deliver for the people who are counting on her. I will say her clapbacks are on point, so I don't think she's oh, going to yeah. have a problem. That's facts. At all. I'm I ready mean, for that debate. For sure. Ooh, I would say that it's very telling that they picked her amongst all the other black women who could have mm -hmm. been potential VPs. Um, I think when you look at Kamala, like she's she's light skinned, so like safer, right? She's married to a black a white guy, right? So, so it's like she's to so many um considered like a safe pick. Mm -hmm. I, I think Susan Rice was all because Susan Rice is light skinned too. And I yeah. think that she would have also been a safe pick, but I think Susan Rice, and it was funny because my one of my clients today was like just randomly brought it up and was excited for Susan Rice. But um, nevertheless, she um Susan Rice, I think the issue with her is that she honestly is more qualified, low-key than Kamala on this front and has a lot more of a relationship with Joe. However, I think the issue that would ar have arisen was Benghazi again. And I don't think that the Dems want a Benghazi issue because that's exactly what happened with Hillary, you know, yeah. a month before the wedding, all this stupid scandal. And then they're going to bring Susan Rice. Yeah. It's history back in there. But she honestly, like, is, um, you know, you have to give it to her too. And all the rest of the black women that were running that, they were extremely well qualified mm -hmm. women. Um, so, like, 
I, I would have been happy with any of them, but I'm I'm especially happy that Kamala was was chosen. Yeah, I think one of the first uh, emotions that I had, obviously, I was I was somewhat excited, um, but I think you all kind of touched on it in some ways. I, I was a little nervous because um, there there is a level of like. Uh, perfection that I think sometimes uh, people of color kind of have to kind of exemplify when they are trying to run for something or gain something or obtain a certain level. And I mean, we saw it with, with Barack Obama, but we also saw it very harshly with Michelle. Like they came for her skin color. They called her monkey. They called her a man. They, they like, they hated her and like legit all she really wanted to do she just wanted kids to exercise like if we're even in the butt like what was there to truly hate this woman for and so that that was part of my my slight fear was like dang they're gonna come for her for kamala and that i think is you know like we we know she's got tough skin you know she she's been in that political field for a while um i do hope that we don't fall into that trap of comparing and critiquing her in a way that we don't do non-black or male politicians. Because I, I think sometimes I, I saw a sense of that um, when she was still running, there was there was a lot of critiquing that I, I don't know if that was equally applied to other uh, non-black women or uh, male politicians. I have to agree because, you know, just to, even to what some of you alluded, even when Kamala was running, I feel like she was definitely criticized to a degree that seemed a little bit unfair. And just speaking for somewhat for the black community, because obviously, you know, we're, we're most of us are a part of it. Uh, Logan, we're super happy that you're here. <laughs> I was about to say all, so I kind of I was like, wait, wait, wait. but again, you know, no offense, but all lives matter, bro. All lives matter. <laughs> um, but. I feel like, especially when she went on the Breakfast Club, you know, the the black people's reactions to her, you know, just trying to have us get to know her a little bit better. I think some of those reactions were a little too harsh. So I really feel like, you know, history has definitely been made. And us as black people, we need to make sure that we're giving her a fair shot because I think mm -hmm. non-black people, unfortunately, might automatically not give her a fair shot anyway yeah yeah I'll, I, I'll go ahead go ahead sir yeah I, my feelings about this are very very conflicted i am having a really hard time feeling that like excitement inspiration of like oh the first black woman on the ticket to be very honest i'm not like i didn't get that rush like when i heard the news um, and I'm trying to weigh, like, make sure that I am being fair in my criticisms of her. But the more I think about it, I, I don't know that the criticisms of her are unfair so much as I don't think that we are. I think that the discrepancy isn't that she needs to be criticized less in comparison to her male peers. I think that her male peers need to be criticized more. Um, but even putting that aside, I think I realized today that I've really been struggling with this entire conversation about the VP pick 
and about the, you know, the pressure and what everybody kept saying, it needs to be a black woman, it needs to be a black woman. And I really, and I don't know, I haven't been able to place like why that's been making me feel so uncomfortable. Like I, I have like that whole conversation bothered me, but I didn't really know why. And I, I saw some commentary today that I think kind of touched on what's been bothering me. Is it, it has been this idea of like, just any black woman, like just throw any black woman in there. That's it. We just need a black woman. Doesn't matter who. Doesn't matter the specifics. This conglomerate group of people. We just need one person from that. As if like there is no shades of differences between us and between our experiences. And then if as if any person that you throw in there that matches that description is going to be representative of everybody, it, it does feel very tokenizing and. On the one hand, I'm appreciative of the conversation, acknowledging like, yes, black women are very loyal, very dedicated voters. And we do like, we do hold up the country and the democratic party. And I agree with that. And I appreciate that acknowledgement. I don't think I appreciate saying, and because of that, just throw anybody in there. And I saw a couple examples of like, groups of people, like, I don't know what it was. Somebody pointed out like some letter that was written on behalf of a bunch of black men. I don't know if they were pastors or something. I can't remember, honestly. But the whole letter was just like, pick a black woman, pick a black woman, pick a black woman, right? But the person pointed out like, you're not even saying like a specific black woman. Like you're not even saying like, this is the woman that we think would be good for this. You're just saying black woman, just pick her somewhere because we need a black woman, anyone to save the nation, just like y'all always do coming through, saving us from our problems. I don't know, like that is that is bothering me. That has been bothering me and it, I, yeah, so I feel very conflicted. I understand it's historical and it's a big deal and it matters, but I'm not feeling that sense of like elated joy and like, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm still working on my emotions around this. Yeah, I, I'll say I, 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 I'm more excited than I thought I would be. I'm like super, I, I felt that same like rush of excitement that a couple of people have experienced. And I actually thought that I would be more in your um, kind of space, Esther, like where you are. And so that, that's that been a weird kind of thing to navigate emotionally. But I think I'm, I'm there because honestly, this isn't necessarily, I mean, this is about 2020 and 2020 is a very important time. And I think that we're going to have an incredible moment where they walk out hopefully on stage and like announce that they won and accept and all that. I think that's gonna be amazing. I hope that we're able to, to curate that as voters. But I think more than anything, 2024 is going to be such a crazy open kind of moment for American like politics. I, I, we won't be, we, we definitely won't see a second term Biden. I, that's incredibly unlikely. Obviously, if Trump were to win again, he'd be out. That'd be the end of his, his time in presidency. So 2024 is going to be this really beautiful moment. And I think that we're, I think that we're set up to have a Kamala um, Harris presidency in 2024. And I think that's what excites me the most is for her to be there. And I, and I think she balances the ticket in some really critical ways. There's been a lot of conversation about Biden's um, inarticulate, you know, his inability to articulate himself pretty clearly these days. And, and I think that you know, Kamala, she brings a fiery, clear voice to any debate stage, as we've mentioned, but also she's going to be really good with the press, with the media on the stump. 
she's going to be incredible with delivering the message with clarity that I think is just going to be so, so important. And, I, and I'm excited to see her in that position. And, and the last thing I'll say this, this, and this is kind of in response to what you were saying, Esther, like I, I appreciate hearing, you know, those of you who are like kind of sharing that like, yo, I felt like y'all were just saying any black woman would do kind of like a placeholder thing. But I will say that the black women who have been leading in this conversation, like the ones who were to be considered, I'd actually be comfortable with any of them. Like, and, you know, if it was just like random black, like a pin went off the street, like you, you, or you, like that'd be one thing. But it was like Stacey Abrams, who's amazing. Val Demings, who's incredible. Susan Rice, who's amazing. Like Karen Bass is in the conversation, obviously. Kamala is in the conversation. Like these are phenomenal and it, just incredibly qualified women. So yeah, pick one. It doesn't matter which one because they're actually all amazing. And that's the way I felt. So I, I don't know if that helps reconcile, you know, that kind of pick one kind of attitude, which I understand, hear me say that. But I do think that the ones who were kind of being seriously vetted and considered were actually all really incredible and all of their stock has gone up. And I love to see them fill out some of the amazing and uh, amazing roles to be filled out in the administration this fall. Yeah, I I agree with what Garrison just said. I do understand where you're coming from, Esther, though, when it comes to the tokenization of mm -hmm. black women, because I'll say this, you know, there are there are a lot of qualifications to talk about with these women. And it felt like we were just saying her blackness is the reason why she's qualified. Kamala is not qualified because she's black. Kamala is qualified because she's qualified, right? Stacey Abrams is qualified because she's qualified. Karen Bass is qualified because she's qualified. Um, I mean, even Lance Bottoms, she's qualified because she's qualified. And so it feels sometimes like our society is like tokenizing our blackness. Like, okay, well, you get a seat at the table because you're black. And that's, it's something to celebrate that we're making those strides and that we are invited to the table. But the tokenization does not, it does not feel like affirmation. It feels just like a diminishing of, like, I, I think the conversation can happen simultaneously. And I think that sometimes it leans a little bit towards, um, you know, just kind of like worshiping, like, okay, because you're black. Now, I'm also going to say that that I was I was a little less excited than I anticipated at first, like I shared earlier. But actually, when I started looking at some of Kamala's perspectives on, on issues, like she's anti-death penalty. That's great for the black community. She's pro-bail reform, and if not eliminating it altogether. She's, you know, cash bail. She, she's doing, she's She's anti-privatized prisons, right? Mm -hmm. There are things that she actually stand for that, to be honest, I don't know if we've talked about enough. Like, I think that we've really yeah. had these two things that like, okay, and, and maybe some others as well. Like, I, I'm not saying that I'm the dictionary on this thing, but, you know, we've looked at a couple things that she's done kind of, that, that kind of bad, badly, in my opinion, right? Like, I don't agree with it. But there are a lot of things like she's actually positioned herself to be a firm voice for a lot of black issues. Um, and although she's not perfect, I think she's adamant. I think she's clear. I think she's a fighter. And I also think she's humble enough to accept correction, which is super important for anybody who's going to step into the Oval Office space. And, and I think that that's really, really 
significant. And I also, I just think that like, we see like she fought for what we would perceive in some instances to be the wrong side of things. She's a fighter. She doesn't give up, you know? And I just read an article and then I'll, I'll, I want to hear other people's opinions, but I just read an article that was about, um, from a public defender talking about how she was the most progressive DA in all of California. And I thought that was significant because first of all, you know, California always talks about being so progressive. And then it's also significant that she was able to communicate that through her initiatives, through the things that she created. So a little more research did me well in terms of being excited for Kamala. And I'll say this, a lot of um, like the juvenile kids that I work with end up being sent to private prisons in Michigan. And so like knowing that this is someone who wants to do away with that can help prevent sending these 15 year old kids, you know, who haven't done anything that bad really to be sent to these private prisons, you know, and federal and state prisons at large. So um, it's it, it like similar to Simone, once you kind of like look a little bit more into who she is, I don't like, I don't think any of us like the fact that um, you know, what we look like is the reason why we're being picked, right? Or the reason why we're being chosen. But I really believe that Kamala isn't just wanting a seat at the table. I believe Kamala is actually like creating a whole new table. Like that's the kind of person she is. And so I'm happy to know that and know that she's going to be creating a whole new table, not just sit at the one that she's given. Yeah, yeah I was really, go ahead. Go ahead, Logan. Um, I was excited whenever I heard about it. Um, I felt like the Kamala pick was kind of interesting for me because um, I thought if it was Kamala, it would have came maybe three, four weeks ago because it's kind of like she's been the front runner for so long. And I was thinking, I've been saying I want the Kamala pick to happen because Biden has been doing so well polling uh, that I wanted to see that extra boost. I feel like the boosts that come for Biden in against Donald Trump – like, don't confuse me to be a Biden supporter. But the boost for Biden came with, like, the Kamala pick, the VP pick, and then the debates will help him because he's better than the terrible Donald Trump. And so just, like, seeing that has been exciting. And I've wanted since the beginning, if people have asked me aesthetically or all these different things, like, who would you want? I, I was a Warren supporter for, for, a, for a number of um, months. But also I wanted to see Kamala Harris on a debate stage against Donald Trump because yeah. I wanted Kamala Harris to tell Donald Trump to his face as a black woman, you're a racist. Like you are a racist and I want that. And so maybe she'll say that to Mike Pence. I, I just love, um, I, I agree with Esther on the sentiments of, I don't like tokenizing or pandering to people be, because of someone's um, gender or because of their race. I think that's really, really a problematic uh, approach to diversity and inclusion. But I do think the idea of a black woman speaking to some of this white supremacy that we're seeing acting out in the White House is beautiful. And I don't know who better to really pinpoint that than Kamala Harris. I think um, Kamala Harris has been in this conversation for a long time. She had, I believe, the first or second most billionaires supporting her campaign. So I think um, Joe Biden trailing and funding may play into this a little bit um, as far as uh, who was picked there. Um, just like an interesting conversation. But I was excited. I was excited because now we have something else. We don't have to just say Joe Biden's name anymore. Now we can also say someone else's name, uh, which is, you know, Biden-Harris ticket. Uh, that. That excites me, and it excites me to just see someone who I I respect. I look up to Kamala Harris. I think she's qualified. I think 
She has um, tried to speak to some of her past problems in some of the interviews, but she's also, you know, just been a, a constant and a stable voice within the Democratic Party for, for a number of years. And I and I like that I can tell people, yeah, Kamala Harris is a VP and Kamala Harris is like a, a qualified politician in, a, in American left politics right now. Yeah, well said, Logan. I, I know we have other topics to jump to, so I'll, I'll be quick in uh, sharing some thoughts on this. Um, you know, I, I'd say on a personal note, um, I thought it was, it was pretty significant um, for a black Indian woman to be on a VP ticket. Um, I, as some of you may know, you know, my mother has black and Indian heritage. My grandfather was born in India. So I actually thought a bit about him, uh, when this was released. Um, that's your aunt. You know, what's that? That's your aunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, I mean, I think he would have been pretty hype right now we we would i was young but we would talk about politics a lot when he was around and um and so i know that my mom and her family are really excited uh, right now because because she has jamaican heritage as well and my mom is jamaican and indian so i thought that was pretty cool for sure um i did think about the the tokenism point um because you know i'll, I'll hesitate to say that i could ever you know, understand tokenism on the level that black women have to face it. I absolutely don't. Uh, but on some level, uh, particularly in the work that I'm doing now, um, I know what it feels like for people to both think and assume that you got to where you got because you're black. And I think black people in general have to deal with that for sure. Um, but um, so that's something that, and I think it even came up, you know, in some of our prior discussions when we were thinking about uh, when was the VP selection going to come. Um, similar to you, Esther, the more that I heard this sort of mandate of, well, it needs to be a black woman, it needs to be, and it's like I understand all the value and importance of that, but um, the more you say that, the more that it can be weaponized against the black woman who is picked. And so I hope that the conversation can be about. Um, again, why Kamala is so supremely qualified for this moment, for this chance. And the last thing I'll say, um, and it goes back to, we've been talking about political choices and candidates, you know, for, you know, a couple months now doing this pod. And something that I've gone back to a few times is just recognizing the fact that particularly for us, um, I'll say for progressive voters in general, definitely for black progressive voters in particular, um, we have had to figure out how we can do the best with what we have. And we oftentimes are dealing with imperfect candidates. Um, I, I think back on, you know, before sort of this more recent awakening within black progressives, um, you know, our champion was Bill Clinton. I mean, we used to call him the first black president and he was in large part, one of the architects of the mass incarceration complex that we have now, you know? Um, and yeah, so and messed up Haiti. So yeah, you know, and there's that too. And so um, of course he did some some cool stuff, but um, for a long time he was sort of seen as this you know huge champion in our community. And so um, that obviously turned out to not fully be the case. And so um, I think that Kamala definitely has to answer for some of 
the things that are a part of her record. She has to, you know, she has to be held accountable for that. She has to answer for that. And I think that I'm, I'm definitely interested in hearing how she, along with Joe, you know, combined their, cause now they're on a ticket. So you have to take their records together. That's sort of just how it works. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be interested to see how they navigate that as things go forward. Uh, but again, I'm really excited for her. Um, like Logan said, I'm excited that I'm really excited that the choice has been made. It kind of dragged out a bit, but I, I'm, you know, you need to be thorough with this kind of a choice. It makes sense. And with COVID and everything, it made the process a bit more weird, I think. Uh, but I'm glad that the decision's been made. We know what the ticket is. Now we can get to the real nitty gritty, uh, being less than a hundred days to election day to just really kind of get this thing underway. I will note real quick, you mentioned something about Joe and Biden uh, and Kamala being on the ticket. And, you know, Kamala was a really big critic of Joe on that debate stage. That was like her big moment um, that kind of made her have an uptick in the polls at that time when she criticized Joe for supporting busing and segregation. And it was an emotional moment. And I think this says a lot about Joe as well as a president, because he clearly is picking somebody who was his critic and probably, and obviously I don't know their private conversations. They probably had a conversation about that. You know what I mean? And it shows kind of how Joe is like, all right, well, I'm going to work with the person that that's going to criticize me because I'm willing to change. Maybe um, I'm willing to acknowledge my mistakes and I'm willing to work with the people that want me to do better. So that says a lot about Joe in and of himself as by picking Kamala, um, you know, I think that's really important for us to know too. And, you know, I know a lot of people aren't necessarily excited to pick Joe as their president and they're kind of saying like, okay, whatever, Joe, I've seen those memes out there, but I think it's important to note that it's okay to, you know, I, I think, I think what he's doing, it, it gives me a little bit more comfortability with, with uh, electing him. I think that he definitely showed, um, his humility in this um, pick. So. Yeah, and I, I would probably add to kind of what Logan was pointing to earlier about just like the lack of enthusiasm around Biden by himself, um, particularly because, uh, you know, we, we can go back to busing, but even, you know, some of the rhetoric he used with the crime bill in 94, um, you did have a lot of Black Americans that were not sold on Biden just yet. Like, you know, you saw a lot of people tweet, like, we're going to plug our noses and go to the voting booth. And I think, you know, Jordan, you mentioned Breakfast Club. Um, they had a lot of callers come in. I, I think it was earlier this morning, um, before, obviously, before the uh, Kamala uh, appointment came in. Um, and one of, one of the things that I thought that kind of changed my perspective was I, I know they use the term like, you know, any black woman, but I think what one person was saying that really stuck out to me was Biden right now, there are a number of black people who are not sold on you yet. And the reason we're not sold on you is, I, I don't know if you've fully earned our trust based off of your history. And one of the ways where you can start rebuilding that trust is to nominate a black woman. Because if you want us to go out and vote for you, then you need to give us something back. Because right now, you're you're asking us to go out and vote for you, but all we really have right now is your history. And for many black Americans, that didn't seem to be enough 
for them to get enthusiastic about voting for Biden. And so I think that was something that was feeding into the push for having someone that was black and having someone that was a black woman. I think many black voters said, you have to give us something if you want us to go out and, and vote for you, you know, at 65, 70%. That's true. Um, thank you guys for sharing uh, these thoughts and these reactions. You know, here at The Power, definitely going to monitor what is happening uh, with Biden and uh, Kamala. And honestly, I'm excited for that campaign logo. I really want to see how that's going to look. Um, but now we're going to transition to our next topic. Can't believe I'm saying this. Um, it's, I believe it's pronounced uh, WAP, okay? Um this is this is a very interesting thing because in thinking about how I would intro it, I usually say, if you haven't seen the video, go and check it out. But I, I don't really know if that is something I should recommend. That is, do that of your own free will. But I, I think what this video has done it. for us. No, don't say that and then mute immediately after Logan, okay? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this video has... I would say brought in an important conversation on black women's sexuality, their sexual anonymity, and of course, liberation. And specifically the Christian reaction to seeing a woman, and I would say specifically black women in these kinds of anonymity? Autonomy, autonomy, autonomy is the word. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank I'm you. here for you, bro. Appreciate you, appreciate you. So. We're just gonna dive right in. Um, I guess I'll ask, <laughs> what was your reaction seeing it? I mean, I don't even, <laughs> I mean, I'll ask this question instead. What do you guys think um, the reaction to this video says about how we see black women? Your quick thoughts on that, and then we'll go from there. Just real, real quick before we do that, this is an all seriousness. Round of applause for Jordan for that transition. Like, for yeah, seriously, that, that was the toughest of spots. <laughs> that was wild. Well, I have a take on this. I have my feminist AF shirt on today, so I feel feeling my spirit. Um, anywho, but um, yeah, like I think that we've been overly sexualized for so long that it's just nice. And now mind you, the WAP, WAP, whatever you want to call it, the um, the music video, you know, that's not the first time we've seen black women. You know, we've seen Nicki Minaj come out with her um, sexy, what was it? Anaconda. Anaconda, yeah, we've seen those, we've seen this before. This is kind of just reviving. We're just kind of reviving this conversation, which is great, but we've been overly sexualized by other people for so long, black men, even white men, we were considered rapeable in the past, um, you know, in slavery times, you know, if we want to throw it back there. Um, but I think it's nice to see, you know, honestly, black women just hyping up WAP. So for themselves and just excited about their own bodily functions. So I don't know if that's so weird to say it, but it's really nice that it's it's not a man talking about it. It's us talking about it about ourselves. We're comfortable with ourselves, and if you, you know, are about that life, it's our prerogative to share it with you. 
we are not, we will give it to you. It is not taken from us. So it's nice to have our own sexuality back and control the narrative about that. Mm. That's all I have to say about that. I think that, you know, I saw, I saw so many comments, so many comments um, about how like the video took women back a hundred years. My God. And um, I mean, you know, this is, this is disgusting and terrible. And it's like, well, have you ever seen just a regular music video? You know, like where women are being personified in this way. And not to say that those are okay either, you know. Um, but here are two women singing about what they possess. <laughs> and at the end of the day, if it's not for you, then don't watch it. Do you know what I mean? Like if Cardi B isn't someone you regularly listen to, then this song isn't going to help change your mind to suddenly become a Cardi B disciple. You know what I mean? Like this has been her platform. She's an artist. This is what she sings about. So when Christians come out of the woodworks, like this is, this is wrong. Well, it's not for you. She didn't create it for the church. <laughs> you know what I mean? She created it for other people. So, you know, if you have a problem with it, don't watch it. You know what I mean? But if you hear your kids bop into it, talk to them. You don't need to put out a post about how she's evil and she's this and she's that. She's an artist and this is her art, you know? And so it's not for you, leave it alone, leave it alone. Yeah, Personally, I, I think, think to that. Really <laughs> <laughs> I think to that point, um, Tasi, like you're saying, like how some people are saying to put women back like however many years, whatever it is, like, I have, I was more um, negatively impacted. I haven't seen the video and all that. I haven't even heard the song, but like I was more negatively impacted growing up in the era of tip drill <laughs> than anything that Meg and Cardi B can put out. Like, like at the end of the day, tip drill was a crit. Like I, I, I'm like almost embarrassed to mention it. Wow. I think it's like oh, Garrison, uh, like, sorry. Could you explain to us what tip drill is? I think like, some of us aren't familiar in, in the best way that you can. It's an early two thousands hip hop song. The video was insane and like totally inappropriate, and it had all kinds of inappropriate things. But my point is that like men have been making music videos that have exploited women for a very very long time, and as a man. It taught me that I sat in the position of power to determine what was supposed to take place with the woman's body. And so this music video um, by these women, these two female artists, they have all the control in the world over what they do with their bodies. And it sends a totally different message, let's be clear, because the conversation is about what women do with their own bodies. Whereas there, very, there really was never a conversation about what men do with women's bodies in their videos, you know? so. So that fundamental difference really exposes the sexism at play agree. in the entire conversation. And I also think it's telling, you know, when we're talking about this whole conversation of sexuality and, and even like the white supremacy that's at play when we're having this conversation, you know, like you look at how, um, what's, what's that man who out here doing crazy? He's on Netflix. What's that thing you're always watching, Mike? That series? Uh, R. Kelly. 
Oh, yeah. all right. <laughs> <laughs> you're watching R. Kelly. Wonderful. I'm watching, just to be clear, I'm watching Surviving R. Kelly. Surviving R. Kelly. So, and as he was watching it, what kind of kept on coming to mind for me was like, we have this whole series on R. Kelly, right? But where's the series on um, Woody Allen and the fact that he adopted a little girl and then married her a few years later, like as, she, as, she, as you know, when she turned, when she was of age, where's, where's the series on that? Wow. You know, like you look at like the Epstein conversation, right? And, and it's like, there's moments in which we okay it, you know, where the conversation, like, well, he was sick, he was ill. Like there's all these excuses when it's men, particularly white men, in these conversations, you know? And I think it's very telling that here you have two women who are talking about what they possess, and it's such a problem. It's such a problem. It's so disgusting. It's so this, it's so that. Um, and I just think it's, I think there's a lot of white supremacist yes. undertones at play when a black woman is appreciating whatever she wants to appreciate, and now all of a sudden she's, she's degrading women at large. Mm. Yeah. I think that I think that kind of hails back to like the welfare queen esque yeah. kind of conversation that happened in like the late 70s, early 80s in, in terms of how like the Republican Party even like used black women being um overly sexual beings and having so many kids and being perverse. Um, for the reason why they actually impose all these welfare restrictions that are more akin to a penal system as, in compared to in 1930s when they had the um, Social Security, um, it's called AFDC, mm -hmm. when they initially had that, there was a lot of white women on it. It was very pure. It was clean. They were giving free money. And then now they have all these extra, I'm going way too wonky on you guys, but like all these extra restrictions. And you see how that mindset that Tati brought this white supremacist mindset is so prevalent, even in our own community, when we talk about other black women and how we, tr how black men treat black women and how the sexual abuse happens in the, um, in our community. And because we're these rapable, overly sexual women who don't, who, who don't have agency over their sexuality, that who do not have control over their sexuality, that we're just, here to either one serve the white family, you know, being an Aunt Jemima, or being um, prostitutes, rape, you know, rapeable women on the street. And I think it's really important for us, especially as modern, complex women to be able to be like, I am a Christian and I am a sexual person. I believe in Jesus and I love sex. Like, I think it's great for us to have this kind of nuance in these conversations now. Um, I may have gone too far, but you know, this kind of conversation that has been started from the WAP music video, um, I think is really important. I'm not even sure if that was the intention of the music video, but it happened. So there. I don't I don't think Cardi B put the video out to be like, this is for women's empowerment. Like right. that's not like I'm this video is to be like funny and right. fun and have a good time. Like this wasn't so that we could all go out and burn our bras. Like that's not what this is about, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think it's also important to recognize that she's she doesn't help the situation with this video. I think it's important, like she doesn't help in the decriminalization of black girls in schools, like with this mm -hmm. video. 
But at the same time, that's never been her platform. And mm -hmm. I think it's very important for us to recognize that. You know, we try and pin certain arguments to certain people and be like, you're not helping. Well, that's not why she came out as an artist. She didn't come out to help in these particular conversations. Mm -hmm. you know? I would even go so far as to say that, like, I think that there is something, and I think you guys have touched on it before, but there is something so empowering about us having the conversation about us. Yeah. Like, I mean, that actually is progress because mm -hmm. usually the conversation, usually we are just the object mm -hmm. of somebody's fantasy where we're just put in a video and we're just kind of like told, hey, do this thing, do that thing. And, and that is the beginning and the end of our voice. Like the problem here, I think stems from the fact that we don't want for black women to take ownership of their own sexuality and speak on that. Even though it, like maybe not every, like not every woman has to agree with the video and not every man has to agree with the video in right. order for it to just be another song that was released. You have the option to listen to it and, and to speak on the white supremacy part a little bit as well. Um, I don't know if this has come up, but when Katy Perry released a song that was like, I kissed a girl and I liked it. Everybody was like, bop, bop, bop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, they didn't have any issues with, <laughs> they didn't have any issues with what she was saying. I mean, people were talking about the lyrics being controversial, but we're not talking, what, what's being criticized here is not the controversy of the video and the depiction of the women. It's that this conversation should just not happen. You know, and it's just like this stifling voice on black women to just not not be creative, not think outside the box, not not speak on our own sexuality. Like you just continue to do you and, and the rest of the world will tell your story for you. And honestly, at its like bare bones, like what she's actually talking about, it's just kind of like, OK, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not I don't know. It just to me, it's not that deep. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not that deep. Let the woman make her music, <laughs> you know? <laughs> this isn't like a new, honestly, like this is all she's been talking about this entire time. I um, I think one thing that is important to point out also is like Cardi B's married. So like she's literally talking about her husband for one. So like- But she said she talks about her husband. Right, yeah, exactly. The song is literally about her husband. So like, on her end, y'all, she really had no qualms with that. Fact. Anyway, um, but I also think it's important to think about how throughout, like, if you're going to have a problem with the with the video, fine. Like, th there is a brand of, like, feminism that is, like, I don't think that we should be, um, like, utilize, like, utilizing our sexuality, like, whatever. But, whatever. Let me get to what I'm actually going to say. Okay, if you're going to have a problem with the video, that's fine. <laughs> But put it into context, like throughout all of history, literally throughout all of history, women in general, like not even just black women, women in general have been required to utilize sex as a power move. Like we were that we, it was literally that it was used that way. Like when you think about like marriages between royal families, when you think about like all of these things that were going on throughout history that were all about utilizing women and sex as a means to further power for powerful people, you cannot now be angry at women for utilizing sex for their own 
gain and benefit when that is the platform and the pathway that was laid out to us though that is the thing that has been made commodifiable that is the thing that has been made the most profitable right like all, all women in all fields well maybe not all fields but especially women in the entertainment industry of all races really in some way shape or form do this whether it is voluntarily for themselves because they want to or because it's just what it is right like so if you're going to criticize anything about this video don't criticize the women making the video like if you want to have a conversation about sex being made a commodity there's a conversation to be had but it don't don't start with them right like there's a reason there's a reason why this is the brand of like women in hip hop that has become so popular and so mainstream is because we have a culture that has made sex the main fact the main factor that we take into account when we are talking about women in entertainment mm. so if you want to have this conversation we can have this conversation but the problem is not Cardi B and Megan the Stallion, like they are not the problem, right? Like there's a larger culture and I think it's valid to criticize that culture, but don't criticize women because they're like, well, I'm gonna use this and I'm gonna make money off of it. Like that, that they're not the problem. That's what's been happening for, for ages. I mean, even if you look at like communications, right? The, the way that they utilize a vehicle, right? You never see like a, a scantily clad male by the car. No, like you rarely see that. You always put, you always put like a half naked woman by this car, thus alluding that she's just an item. You put a woman with a Coke bottle body next to the beer bottle because it's an item. You know what I mean? Like that's that's been what we've been communicated for centuries. Do you know what I mean? And now all of a sudden, like you said, it's a problem because they're the ones doing, they're the ones making money off of it, right? They're the ones capitalizing off of themselves. And that's why it's, that's why I see it as a problem. You know, yeah, well, I'll just jump in real quick. One of the things that I thought was interesting, um, I, I want the um, you know, those super Christians, especially those pastors, I want them to move a little closer right now, maybe turn up their speakers a little bit. Um, <laughs> you're not about to play the song, right? Nah, okay. you know, we'll, we'll see. Well, here, here's the interesting thing about that. And shout out, shout out to Tiffany Llewellyn, she actually pointed this out on Facebook. Um, apparently. This song dropped like Friday night, which were, you know, for those of you who are Adventists, which are after the sacred hours. And um, <laughs> there were several of y'all all over your Facebook lives and all over your Saturday afternoon little clout meetups talking about WAP or, you know, WAP, excuse me, word for word. You know, you had the lyric breakdowns. Y'all were talking about images, you know. And hey, maybe maybe the spirit just implanted that into you. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe you just were cast in the vision. You know, Desire of Ages Part Two or Three. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe I, I don't know. I mean, that's some new wave. I mean, y'all got it. You feel me? Y'all are extra anointed. But um, yeah. I, so <laughs> that was funny for sure. The other thing that I, that kept coming up, um, <clears throat> there were there were several. Folks who were talking about how, oh wow, why does women's empowerment always have to, you know, uh, in, involve sexuality and women showing their bodies and blah blah blah? I just want to be clear about something. If if you have dumbed down women's empowerment to um, WAP, um, 
The problem is you, bro. Like the problem is absolutely you. The problem is not women. Like you can Google women's empowerment. You can type it into Instagram. You could, and I guarantee you, lots of stuff's gonna pop up before you find, you know, this music video. What, this music video, literally. I mean, like y'all, y'all, y'all. So what that says to me is that the only time that you all are interested in talking about women is to try to police the way that they use their bodies, the way that they talk about sex, um, the way that they're portraying themselves in media. If that's what catches your eye, then the problem is what catches your eye, not what's catching your eye. So you need to work that out uh, yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna leave it there for now. You know, I, I have to just echo some of what you said, Mike, because frankly enough, I'm just so over the, the pearl clutching. I just, <laughs> I just can't like, oh, oh, it's so bad, it's so bad. It's like, fam, come on, what? It's just, I, I think men, I think men have an issue thinking that women, the sexuality in women, they honestly believe in it and because they, I think they believe this in how they react to it. The sexuality in women exists only to please men. I think that's what some yeah. men genuinely believe. Yeah. Women's sexual being, the part of them that expresses this, this kind of piece of who they are, is literally just for my benefit. So when you see it in a way that makes you uncomfortable, you automatically say, you know, you, you, you know, it, it's the it's the woman's fault, or this is the only way they can find empowerment, or or why can't do it some other way? I'm like, fam, it's not about you. Let them express the way in which they want to be expressed. When we hear the term "sex sells," you don't. Let's be honest. You don't think about a man being on a billboard, just in his underwear, only showing abs. Showing whatever he's showing to sell the product. You don't see that. But when we hear the term sex sell, it's usually about a man in a position using a female image to sell a product. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this president, just like what Esther was saying, this is not new stuff. It just makes you uncomfortable because you're not in the, you're, you're not driving, you're, you're not behind the steering wheel. Yeah, I man, you're, you're making a great point. And like you said, I mean, like, it seems as though sex sells, everybody can make money off of sex except for women. Like, they can't make money off of their own bodies without it being judged. And it really reminded me of something. Simone has done a really good job of helping me understand sexism through the lens of racism. Like, maybe we spent a lot of time thinking about racism, but taking that and like taking some of those same principles and applying them to sexism is a really helpful tool for, un for better understanding the way that these power structures work to denigrate women. And one of the things that I'm like realizing in this conversation, I think one of the, the best arguments that I've even heard, I think maybe Tassi or Esther may have said it, was about the fact that like women have the right to have fun. Like women have the right to just like be recreational. And I think about how as black people, it seems as though every single movie that comes like black movie that comes out is about like our pain and like our suffering and it's like i'm working to get out of the struggle right but like black people have fun and black people just enjoy themselves and like there are days where we think about just being our individual human being selves apart from the struggle of being a black person that happens like believe it or not right 
And like women have a right to be that as well. Women have a right to exist and, be, and have fun and celebrate without carrying the burden of women's suffrage and like pushing forward the agenda of equality for what like that that had nothing to do with it and we should make space for those kinds of acts without them being judged as being somehow detrimental to to the women's movement yeah but also like like esther pointed out earlier cardi she she has made it known that she while she writes these songs to monetize it like she has said like in her unique humorous way brah i'm thinking about my husband when i'm writing my music and i feel like part of the the like what what's made it kind of crazy for some of the responses that i've seen is like not only are you uh showing like exposing how uncomfortable you are about the conversation of like sex in general but i think we're also kind of showing how uncomfortable we are about publicly talking about sex even with when it's in the lens of marriage like it, it i think we need have we have to have a large conversation about we do not know what it looks like to celebrate the beauty of sex like how much how, how, how much joy it brings, uh, the reason why it exists. Uh, and, and so when we see someone doing it, it feels so foreign, right? And it feels like we're infringing on something that is supposed to be uh, very private where no one under, you know, really uh, fully knows what it looks like to express that publicly. And so when everyone, so and so when anyone, I should say, when anyone makes an attempt to publicly express and celebrate the beauty of sex, whether it's in a relationship or in a marriage, they're, they're seen as immoral, right? Like they're seen as like they're, they're breaking a biblical mandate of, of some sort. When in actuality, like sex was created for a reason and, and we should be able to celebrate that without being weird. And I think that's what's made it kind of odd in some of the responses, it's like, yo, why are we acting so strange when people are wanting to celebrate something that God created? Like, I, I don't understand why there, there's that push of like, there's no space for them to have that in music. Well, I mean, if that's the case, why have we read Songs of Solomon? Like, are we reading the lyrics about what is in our scripture? Like he is clearly writing this in a celebratory tone of appreciation and joy uh, about this partner, about this person, and so I'm like, what, 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 what exactly is making us so uncomfortable? And I think that's what it is. We we don't know what it looks like to publicly celebrate the beauty of sex. I, I that's a really good point. I also wonder if I'm trying to think how to say this because I think that there are times when we are accepting of celebrate like sen celebrating sensual messages poetry whatever if it comes from the right person and in the right tone i think that cardi b and meg i think they represent a kind of black woman that people automatically are going to associate the most negative ideas to and so they can't even if because somebody made a great point they're like janae Aiko's music 
essentially is just as vulgar. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I don't listen to her like that, but that's what people are saying. But she just is quieter about it. Like the tone of her music is just different, and her persona is just very different. And so people read what she does differently than they read what Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion do. And I think it really has to do with how we view Black women as a whole, but also within that, how we view a certain kind of Black woman that is not as white adjacent as mm. white people are comfortable with, if that makes sense. Mm. No, you're you're 100% correct, because um, Janae, like last year, came out with a song that literally, lyrically is on par, if not even a little bit extra, <laughs> you know? Um, in comparison, and no one really said anything at all. Um, Cause like you said, a little bit more white adjacent and there wasn't a, video, a music video attached, right? So it's suddenly, it's suddenly okay. Cause we don't have the visual. I think it's important for people to recognize that we, we often demonize what we don't understand or haven't come to yet appreciate. And so when people come at this, this, you know, these songs and they're immediately it's, it's evil, right? What we don't understand is evil, right? To me, it says, like, you probably haven't given yourself enough time to appreciate this space um, because anyone who does is evil to you, you know? And so I think it's important to keep in mind. I think another thing someone mentioned in the comments, um, Push Out, the book Push Out by Monique Morris, um, it speaks profoundly on this this conversation. Yeah, it was, it was Reba, Reba Jin. Reba. <laughs> But it's it's powerful, and I think it speaks very much to the conversation that we're having. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I just want to respond to one thing. I'm just going to respond to this thing. So I see the Glad Man was on here. Aaron Glad, Glad I left on YouTube. That's my guy. Known this guy for for a very long time, and he's saying like God created sex for marriage. Amen. That that's your belief system. I totally affirm the value of that. He said if Cardi B was thinking about her husband, why do I have to hear it? And I have an answer, you don't. It's interesting, we actually have an option to not listen to it. And that's really great, that's that's awesome, that's our freedom. We actually don't have to listen to it. And and I agree that like someone, it may may have been Tiffany, it may have been Claudia, I don't know who it was, but somebody on Facebook was like, yeah, we don't hold Beyonce to this same level of scrutiny. As a matter of fact, her song like hit like, the number one like on the chart and no one's mad like when Wait, she's like surfboard and like Wait, like she got heat for all of that. She did get heat. She got heat for all of that. She did. She did? Yeah. Yeah. I say correct it. I'll say I mean, I that's a different conversation about the beehive, but I'll say this. These same pastors were not on the internet talking about Beyonce the way that they're talking about her. They kind of were. They kind of were. were not. It, it, it wasn't the same conversation. It, well, really- it wasn't because the video is different. And I'll, I'll put it that way. And so it's another oh, thing. Like, why are you pastors watching this video? You know what I mean? Like, if you yeah. simply sat there and watched this video, we have a lot more. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. Like, if you could make it through the whole video, you know, a video that you don't like. And let me tell you, you have, you can have enough. I'm saying, like, if I, I'm trying to picture, like, my father, who's a pastor. Within the first probably 10 seconds, right. I know Carl wouldn't be able to make it through the rest. He's like, I'm not watching this. 
So if you were able to sit through the whole thing, you you wanted to be there for it. Yep. I also yes, want I to add something that um, Javan said. She about I think she's talking about Janae Aiko when we mentioned her, and she said she's also petite. I that is something that we I don't know if we've had like uh, as much of a conversation about it that we like as we should have. Body shape has such an impact on how people read yeah. everything that you do. Like, I just think back to like high school and thinking about the ways that like that dress code was enforced for like thick black girls as opposed to like skinny white girls mm. wearing the same thing. Like, I specifically, this is a tangent, but I specifically remember this day on Halloween with all, all these white girls came to school dressed as that. Um, what's that movie, that Tom Cruise movie where he doesn't wear any, he like slides into the boxers and he has um, a Risky business. All these white girls came to school literally dressed like that. They didn't have pants on and not a single thing happened to them. But what I'm trying to say is like the way that we read women's sexuality and how they present it is heavily, heavily influenced on body shape. And that also has a lot to do with the history of black women, black women and black femininity and how the the black female form was presented as like this hypersexual, they yeah. drew exaggerated drawings of it with the big lips, the big hips, the big thighs, everything like, you know, all that kind of stuff to, to support this idea that they're inherently more sexual, right? All of that is definitely playing into how we are perceiving um, Cardi B, and Meg the Stallion as they talk about their sexuality versus other women who are doing the same thing, but they just not shape the same way and they don't look the same way. And so we're not reading it the same way. Yeah. So I accidentally saw the music video. Um, <laughs> the whole thing? Yeah. I accidentally, watched the, <laughs> I accidentally watched the whole thing. Uh, it was, it was, it was a tough situation, but when I watched the video, I noticed that the 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 women that were in the people that were in the video were black women, and I never saw a part of the video that asked me for my opinion. Uh, it felt it felt like a, a video that was made by black women, made for black women, uh, was more interested in asking for perspectives of black women. And I, I noticed the first lyrics uh, to to just say they said it was the first thing that came whores in this house. They basically told us in the video, y'all are gonna shame us for it, but we're gonna be who we are. We're gonna say what we want. And we don't care what you say because we're here to make music. And if you don't have a degree in women's studies, I really like, as far as a theological think piece, I, I don't care. A pastor, you could tell your, your church members like, hey, they this may not be the best music for you, but, they didn't make it for you. They made this to be unapologetically themselves. And, and you know, I'm just seeing a lot of people that refuse to stay in their lane. And I, I mean, you want to break down your theology on this, that, or the other thing, go ahead. But when it comes to black women making black art, it's not yours to critique. It is critiqued by this culture. And for me, that's kind of why I sit back on it is it's just like, y'all go ahead because this wasn't even made for me to enjoy, even though, and, and I'm not even going to get started on the Kylie Jenner culture vulturing in the middle of the video just to try to try, try to right, enjoy that. that. Yeah. The video. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah so like 
Kylie Jenner was, I think, in the video. I couldn't. I, it was kind of hard for me to accidentally <laughs> see. To see. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I dropped it down to 480p, so I couldn't see it as clear. Um, didn't, yeah, but um, yeah, it just why is everyone out of their lane to give us an opinion on on black people when? When white men, I mean, we're, we're, we're mad about a little bit of unapologetic blackness, but we don't care about white supremacy. We don't care about these white systems covering up sexual predators within their own societies and cultures. Like, we don't care about the real problems. We care about, oh, this doesn't look the way I've been taught by white people to think something should look. So it's now bad. Let's demonize it so we can keep pushing our agenda that is, in and of itself, always been anti-black. Thank you so much for your comments and notes, guys. We're going to move super quick into uh, Black is King. Um, it was released on Disney Plus just a few short weeks ago. Um, there have been a lot of different perspectives on what Black is King communicates, how people have internalized it and reacted to it, and how it links to women's spirituality and just religion in Black culture and Black religion in general. Guys, please do not hesitate to comment First reactions for Black is King and how people are responding to it. Go. Loved well, it. I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll, I loved it as well. I'll just jump in real quick here. I watched Black is King today. I think I have maybe like 30 minutes left and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it after the pod. I just want to be upfront with the viewers. Um, so once I realized that this was an artistic adaptation of The Lion King, I actually got really furious about all the backlash that I've been reading because um, I've, I've seen some of the opinion pieces about it. And, um, you know, it's really interesting to me. I'll just I'm just going to put it out here out front. It's really interesting to me that everybody was cool with uh, a story being set in Africa with talking animals, yeah. uh, those talking animals representing people. <laughs> um, within the continent of Africa. And then now all of a sudden when a, a black artist comes along and decides, hmm, maybe I'll take this uh, uniquely African story set in this setting, um, which was um, you know, being portrayed by animated talking animals. And why not connect that to some of the indigenous roots and heritage of the people that are from that actual region. And now all of a sudden, uh, it's voodoo, it's it's this, it's that, it's spiritualism, it's all this other crap. So, you know, you know, we can't portray black men and women as king, but we can have a lion king though. Like we can have a fake fictional lion king and all y'all can take your kids. You went there as kids to watch it. Mm -hmm. They just made it again. They got like real live animals talking mm -hmm. now and you brought your kids to watch that one. And we brought Noah to see it and she was like, Dad and mom's dad, this is trash. Why are we watching this? And she was absolutely right. Um, you know, you know, it was it wasn't that great. I'm sorry. You know, I'm just gonna I don't want the Bayhop to come from me, but and Mike, Noah not, not her best performance. Michael, you know, but Noah said she was like she was like, Why don't they use people? No exactly. one said that. I fear yeah. Why about years, man? That's yeah, what I'm saying. So, we need to bring Noah out here. Literally. And so she was like, Yeah, I mean, what where are the people? Like, yeah. just it's just talking at like, and she could see that as like a cartoon that makes sense, but now we're using real live animals as opposed to people. Like, that's that's a problem now. It's spiritualism. They had all these same kind of imagery in the Lion King. That's what's mm -hmm. funny, and y'all were cool with it, but now that we have some real flesh and blood in it. 
um, you want to police how blackness is portrayed. And so um, I, don't, I really don't have a lot of time for the critics and all the, you know, I'm sure they got the YouTube breakdowns of all the symbolism and blah, 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 and the forerunners and all that. Shout out to them. Get your hundreds of thousands of views. I'm not interested in it. Blackest King is great. Y'all should all watch it. <laughs> I have a super quick note on this um, because when me and mine were watching it this past week on Disney Plus, because we knew we were going to be talking about it on the podcast, um, I got as the uh, as the film went on, I got increasingly upset because I realized all of the things that this film is portraying, and I will say specifically just communicating with your ancestors or communicating with someone that has left, that has died, has been literally in so many major stories that a lot of us Adventists yeah. watch. I thought about Harry Potter. I thought about Harry Potter, Jordan? No, of course not. It's on HBO Max, the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> I thought about all of the Disney movies. I thought about Star Wars, okay? Well, I thought about all of these films, I, even Lord of the Rings, Gandalf dies and he comes back. Yeah. Like there's so many instances of the, these kinds of themes being reoccurring, reincarnation, speaking with the dead, whatever. But you have an issue with it when it features black people because right. our religion from the that are spread around the countries in Africa have historically been demonized and bulldozed over for a more, I would say, palpable white evangelical Christian religion. I um just want to bring back something that your dad said, Nick, when he was on this on, and he brought up the amazing point Ooh. that. Every other Protestant religion outside of Adventism believes in the eternity of the soul, right? It's so like you will commonly hear people be like, I know my grandma's watching over me right now. I know that she's keeping me safe, like my guardian age. Like that's things people say all the time. And Adventists, we disagree with those things, but we're not calling them demonic. And that mm -hmm. is essentially the equivalent to saying, my ancestors are watching over me. Even if I don't agree with that, I can't call that demonic. It's one. I also do feel like we should name that not all of the criticism that Black as King got came from white conservatives. Mm. People from Africa, there was also some criticism from people from Africa themselves. And I mean, none of us here are, can, can speak for that community. I will say like, some of, some of the things that I saw people saying was like uh, having this idea that like we can only be proud of our African heritage when it's like draped in royalty and glamour and all that kind of stuff instead of just like, instead of understanding that like that really wasn't like the reality for everybody like and still being proud of that. Basically, like I think kind of trying to like divorce this idea of like capitalism, classism from our empowerment and finding um yeah finding empowerment in our african ancestry which i think is valid mm -hmm. i also <laughs> i have so many thoughts about this i also feel like part of me was part of me felt frustrated reading that critique because i feel like as a black american person i have 
very often been told and heard from other from other black people that like black Americanness in in and of itself is not like sufficient, like it's not valid as a culture and as a and as an identity, and that we actually need to tie ourselves back to the continent of Africa. We need to reconnect with where we really came from because we've lost ourselves. Right? Like I hear that verbiage a lot from Black American people and from other people, who other Black people. And I honestly think like my only criticism for Black is King. I, I really loved it and I really enjoyed it. My only criticism from it for it honestly is I, I honestly think that Black American people I don't think that we need to reconnect to our African roots and heritage in order to have pride in our identity. I, I think that we honestly should, because it's it's really difficult to do that and to explore that without stepping on toes because we don't have the firsthand knowledge and the firsthand expertise, right? Like we don't even know exactly where from Africa we come from. So. I'm just gonna blame the whole continent, like the whole Western part of the continent. Like it gets very complicated. And I, I honestly feel like for me, I'm at a place where I'm like, I think we need to do a lot more digging and unpacking and finding pride in our journey as it started here. Like finding pride in our ancestry, starting from slavery. Like I feel like I don't need to go back to something before slavery to be proud. Like slavery is not something to be ashamed of for me. That's something to be ashamed of for white people, for whiteness and for white supremacy. Y'all need to be worried about that and feeling ashamed of that. I don't wear that as something to be ashamed of or something to gloss over or something that I need to look past to find pride. I'm very proud to be a descendant of slaves because I understand all the things that they overcame and I understand all of the things that they created in that experience. And I understand all the ways that they were constantly fighting, constantly rebelling, constantly constantly recreating like there there was so much like like things that were literally created out of that experience that I'm lucky enough to inherit and be a part of and that is my like that's my only criticism for and not even just for Beyonce just for this whole idea of like we have to look back to something before that I I don't think we need to I don't think we need to I think I can find pride in my story from the point that I can trace it back to directly I think I agree with you, Esther, to an extent. Um, first, I, I was going to say something earlier. I think that like art in general is interpretation of life. So we have to remember that she is producing an artistic expression of life that can be interpreted in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. So in this specific expression, she was reflecting the story of the Lion King, which is a African story. However, um, and I think that there was a lot of pride for Africans from the continent, um, a lot of pride, especially in terms of like Tierra Whack was out there. You have Mr. Easy, you have um, Wizkid, like all these black Afro beat artists, you know, African artists like in that, that was like a huge moment for, you know, like the resurgence in Afro beat music, which is awesome to me. I love you know, Black Coffee and all these dope artists. Um, DeVito went to Oakwood, OU. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but I think that was, like, really important for the culture. But also, like, I understand what you're saying, Esther. Like, we have to be proud. Like, I don't know where I come from, you know, necessarily in terms 
going years, years, years back and stuff like that. So you have to be proud of like where your culture has come, wherever the diaspora kind of left you, you know, wherever the ship dropped you off at, you know, you got to, you know, acknowledge that and say, you know, I don't know my history then, but I know where it started from there. And like, let's be proud of it. But also I think that you can kind of, when you're looking through the story of like the, the blackest King and, you know, depicting African royalty, I think that can be interpreted in many ways. It can be interpreted in the literal way of hailing that we are from literal African Kings and Queens. There's a lot of interpretation around that people moving back to uh, not Sierra Leone, um, to Liberia when it was created. A lot of African Americans moved back to the continent to where Frank Ocean is from. No, he's from Sierra Leone. Anyways, I love Frank Ocean. I don't know why I brought that up. But anywho, um, long story short, like I think that you can interpret it with the royalty side and then also just in general, like you have to have pride in who you are, where you've come from, and you can't run away from that. And it's not our job to tell other people that we're worthy. We are worthy in and of our, ourselves. And it's time for us to come back to ourselves. And I think that's what kind of the story of the Lion King is kind of showing that we 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 were leaving. We left our the safety of the rock. You know, we went out and we explored ourselves. We, you know, when she had the transition to um, my favorite song on the album was Jay-Z. What's it called? I, I can't think uh, of it. Move Forever. Move Forever. You know, that was like the nonchalance, not camp. And after that, it transitioned to them, him coming back home, yeah. you know, you know, kind of in parallel with the story of the Lion King. I think it was like really kind of dope just to show like the general narrative. And I think a lot of people, um, I don't think we can dumb down the, the importance of Black is King for not just Black women, Black men, African people, but also like Indian women were represented in there. So that was really cool that she did. So I think it's just like a work of Black art that we can all kind of get behind, in my opinion. Um, even if you're not African, I think you can find yourself in that story um, in some way, shape or form. Two things. One, um, she really, the first song she comes off and she says, she comes on, and she says, We are part of something way bigger. And I think that that message alone spoke to like the whole theme to me, you know, um, that we are part of something. If you're ever feeling small or she's like ever feeling insignificant, just remember you're a part of something way bigger. And so to me, it was like, Okay, this, this is, this is the theme. Right. This is what she's trying to portray. This is what she's giving us. So it's not so much about having to go back. It's just an understanding that when you do feel small, there's so much history like flowing through your veins. There's so much history in your skin. There's there's so much beauty in in who you are. You know. So remember that. One and two. Um, I think it's crazy how no one said anything about like the riches of like crazy rich Asians, right? and how these Asians were being portrayed as like so rich and wealthy. But here you see black people being rich and wealthy and it's a problem. And I think it's due to the fact that usually when you see Africa portrayed on TV, right? We, we see we have the Lion King and as Noah put it, like why is the movie based in Africa and we don't see any people? Why do we just see animals, right? We see um, these children who are hungry, who we need to give 25 cents a day for. Like these are the portrayals of Africa. And so now seeing, you know, these beautiful scenes from across Africa. And I think she, she filmed most of it in Africa. There's only some parts that were like redone in LA. Everything else was done in Africa. Seeing the wealth of it, I think for many was like, this isn't what it is. 
Well, in some parts of Africa, that is what it is. Do you know what I mean? In some, like those big houses, like that's in Africa, you know? And so, yeah, it might not be the whole thing, but can we take a moment to celebrate the wealth that is here? Because all that we typically see is poverty, you know? And so I, I think it's important. I had, I had the opportunity to go to Tanzania when I was at Andrews. And I just remember thinking like, you know, I, I remember one person asking me like, do you feel like so at home here? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, I'm not, like I don't feel like at home in Tanzania, particularly like I'm from New Hampshire. So like, I don't see any pine trees. Like I don't really, I don't know, it's not home to me, but I can still appreciate the fact that I, I look around and I see people who are happy. I see people who, understand who they are and where they come from. They understand their place in this world. And that's something that I struggle with from where I've come from, you know? Like as a child of an immigrant, I struggle with place, you know? And I think for most black people in America, it's like, they're so we're so often pushed out of spaces. We're just trying to find our space, right? And so to hear her say again from the top, like we are part of something bigger. It was so grounding for me. And I think that's what she was just trying to say. Like you, like look at your skin, look in the mirror, understand you're beautiful, you're bold, that you're, that courage flows through you, that magic flows through you, you know, and that you're part of something way bigger. And for a while I was like, what? what's up with the blue dude? Like following her around. But now it's like, I looked at it and I, I mentioned to Mike, I was like, oh, that's, that's the ancestor that's helping her like along the way. What if, even though I don't believe in like an ancestor, like a, following me, what a beautiful portrayal, right? What a beautiful portrayal. And I think we have to look at it, I think as, I think it was Garrison, no it wasn't Garrison, I think it was Amani who said like, understand this is an art, this is art and appreciate it. Like appreciate it for what it is. Don't try and fit it into like the box and ideologies that feel comfortable for you because art's supposed to push you, you know? It's, it's all type of weird stuff for European art. We ain't even gonna go yeah. there. And that, I think that, that was part of what I was, Weird, weird. Into Nixon, I I feel like we are so quick. I guess in twofold. One, I think as Christians, we are too quick to label things that are not within our Western culture as yeah. demonic, right? Or if it's pagan, then it has to be demonic, even though that is not at all what the actual word pagan means in any way. And I think also um, when, when it comes to culture within the African diaspora, we always look at those things, particularly as demonic, right? We, we look at the symbolism in Beyonce's music video and because they were foreign to some of us, we immediately threw that flip it word demonic onto it as something that is making us feel uncomfortable but I think in, in, in actuality, I think it, it really comes down to two things. One, um, we've been socialized to think that anything outside of Western culture is demonic or unnatural or unnormal. And so if we are partaking in those things, uh, then we are in some ways breaking a, you know, a covenantal vow to our, our Christian heritage, right? Or in, in other cases for black people, through you know just the idea of of being indoctrinated with white supremacy, mm -hmm. either growing up education system or you had immigrant parents that were colonized, we are we are kind of taught to 
belittle our culture, like whether it is from African ancestry, whether it is from Caribbean heritage, it, there, there is always this constant battle where we think we have to give up certain parts of our cultural heritage in order to become a full-fledged Christian. But I, I don't think that's the case. And I, I think we never really have the conversation of it, it is possible for our culture and our Christianity to coexist together without there being any clashing amongst each other. And like, like Nixon said, there is a lot of weird stuff in European culture that we never think that we have to, to throw out or, or make note of having to point out, pull it accountable, remove it from our culture, call it demonic. It, it, and I think that that's what's frustrating because it's just like, yo, we talk about ancestry, the, the celebration of ancestry. The Bible makes it very clear how important ancestors are. Like you have chapters going through the lineage of whose father came after whose father and whose son this was so that you have context of, listen, I'm so-and-so from the tribe of Judah. Like you, it, it is clearly telling you that your ancestry matters to who you are right now. And now we have an artistic uh, take on it through this film, and now we have a problem with it. Like I, I don't understand how we're we're not being able to see that we're we're celebrating things that is even within our own scripture, and that I think is part of my my first frustration. We take something that's foreign, and we throw that word demonic on it, or we take something that is within our culture and and we belittle it. And I'm just like, well, these things can coexist together. We we can love our culture and still be a full-fledged Christian. Yeah, I'm pro as much black art as we can get. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I grew up with boring musicals like Chi Chi Bang Bang and The Sound of Music and like this junk. This stuff was, who told me this stuff was good? Like, give me more Beyonce, give me more of this. This stuff is like, I was watching this and I was thinking like, this isn't just like a, a dope like storyline, a movie about the Lion King. This is beautiful. Like this, the imagery, the, the, the uh, you know, I don't know what you, the cinematography is just so good. So I'll, all I'm gonna say is more, I want more. And if critiquing gets more people to view it so they can re continue to make more. So I don't have to, you know, watch Dick Van Dyke movies ever again in my life. Yes, that's what I want. That's what I want. I loved Sound of Music. I was going to say, I got to like third or fourth that, whichever whichever one I was in line. I love Sound of Music. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Just big shout out to uh, Michelle, big shout out to Reba, uh, Steve, Latoya, Claudia. Uh, Javon, just super glad that you guys were able to join us. Bree, of course, and of course, uh, Larry and Sandy, who always hold it down for our show. And of course, uh, I'm on fire, 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 fire. Yeah, on fire. Angie and Henry, too. Guys, we're so happy you got to join us for this very important conversation. Um, I will leave you with this. Um, I, I remember in Black is King, I, I loved one of the lines that was said during a transition between songs and scenes, uh, which pretty much said that uh, royalty is taking care of your family. Ro royalty is taking care of who you're supposed to take care of, being responsible for your tribe. 
and uplifting people around you in your community. So within that, I hope this week we can remember to uplift our black women, cherish our black women, promote our black women and do all that we can to make sure that they are loved and taken care of. And we're so glad for the black women that are here on the podcast today. Thank you, Amani. Thank you, Kasi. Uh, thank you, Esther. Uh, thank you, Simone. Guys, we are Affirmative Interaction. Thank you for affirming what we did here today. Uh, feel free to listen to our podcast. Share us with friends. We're on Spotify. And, of course, we're also streaming on Instagram. Uh, we love all of you, and we'll see you next week.